Good morning, everybody. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont, and we're excited to jump into week two of our series, Faith Over Fear. Today, we're going to be talking about the issue of finances with faith and fear. Now, I know some of you have already prepared to check out because you heard the word finances and you think you already know what's going to come. I'm going to talk to you about how you're not supposed to be afraid. Then I'm going to tell you to give money to the church, and we're going to take a special offering at the end. It's not what's going to be happening this morning. I want to challenge that preconceived notion. In this series, we've been talking about responses of faith rather than fear. And this morning, we want to talk about finances, but I want to come from a higher flight path to talk and look at, to get an understanding of both fear and faith. In Psalms 56, verse 3, the psalmist David said this, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid. The reality is, is that you are going to have moments in your life where you are afraid. David was a man who passionately pursued God. And if you look at his life, he has moments of fear, but he also has moments of sheer bravery. He fought a bear. He fought a lion. David was the one who conquered Goliath. David also had to run and hide in caves as he was being hunted down by his own king and the kings of neighboring nations. Yet we see here this man who is brave also give his own encouragement and personal confession. When I am afraid, you are going to have moments of fear, but you can still put your trust in God. The reality of fear in your life is just that, a reality. But today we want to talk about how we can face fear with a response of fear or a response of faith. So let's take a few minutes this morning and talk about fear. Many of you have probably heard the, the saying, you can have two responses to fear. You can have fight or you can have flight. And I want to look at both of those today. Now, a flight response refers to someone who, when something fearful happens, they run, they cower, they get out of dodge. They're trying to get away. Anxiety overtakes them and they think the only way to survive is to get out of there. In the Bible, we see this, uh, Moses is an example, as Moses uh, ended up killing an Egyptian that he saw beating on a Hebrew man. He knew he was supposed to lead the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, but yet when that happened, he was so fearful, he ran away out of Egypt and went to the wilderness, and it was 40 years before he returned. Or a man named Gideon in the Old Testament who was called to lead the armies of God and led 300 people to defeat these huge, massive armies. But when we first see Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press underground, hiding from these neighboring armies, fearful, running away, hiding. This is obviously uh, the response that many of us think about when we think of fear. Flight naturally comes to mind. But as I said, there are two common responses. Flight or fight. And for many of us, we find the fight part a little bit confusing because that's maybe not what we think of. You see, fighters, they come across as confident and competent. They respond, they get things done. But yet a fighting response is still motivated by fear. And with that, any response that's motivated by fear is going to bring destruction in your life. So I want to look at a couple biblical examples of the destruction that happens when we respond with a fighting sense of fear. Uh, there was a king, the very first king of Israel. In the book of 1 Samuel, verse, or chapter 13, we see this king, Saul. And Saul was supposed to lead Israel into battle. Now the way that things were set up at the time, this was before Jesus, who has now made it so that we have, as the Bible talks about, access to the Father. We can talk to God and he talks to us whenever we want. 
But at the time, God would have specific men called prophets, and he would speak to them, and they would speak to the people. And so Samuel was the man who was the prophet, and Samuel gave instructions to Saul. Saul, you are supposed to go, and you're supposed to wait for me until I come, take the army, and when I get there, I will give a sacrifice. Then you can lead the army into battle. So Saul goes ahead and waits, and he waits. And he waits, and the waiting time begins to cause some anxiety. And we read in 1 Samuel 13 that the men were quaking with fear. It had been seven days. And Saul became fearful because he could see that some of these men were losing their temperament and they were going to leave. How could, he, how could he win a battle if they just left? So what did Saul do? He was given a command. He was told what he was supposed to do. But he took charge and he took action himself. And he gave the sacrifice himself so he could go to battle. He was worried about things getting out of control, so he took control. And we see Samuel comes just as Saul has finished the sacrifice. And there's a portion in the Bible where it has this verse where he then instructs Saul uh, later in chapter 15 that God doesn't care about the sacrifice. It was obedience, not sacrifice, that God cared about. But here's the thing, when we fight out of fear, just like Saul, our insecurity, that fear that he had of, well, the men are going to leave, I'm going to lose this battle, I got to take control. Our insecurity pushes us beyond where God has led us and called us to. And we make assumptions for God and believe that our actions are justified because of it and noble even. Saul didn't want to lose, he wanted the army to win and he thought if he took control, that's how it would happen. A fighting response is focused on making results, but a faith response is focused on obedience. Someone who responds with fear fights for control, but someone who comes from an aspect of faith does something radical. They submit, even in the midst of their anxiety. Another example is a king that came several after Saul. There was David, then Solomon. Solomon was, was known as the wisest man who ever lived. He w had the greatest uh, time of being a king in Israel. David was the most uh, adored, but, but Solomon was at the time where Israel had its greatest power, its greatest height, greatest expanse. He was known as the greatest king in the world, the wisest man. People from other nations would come and give him gifts just to say, please leave us alone, let's be friends. Solomon took Israel to heights that no one else did. So you can imagine what it feels like to come in a shadow like that. If you've had older siblings or parents who cast a big shadow, you know what it's like when you have to walk in the reputation of another. There's constantly kind of a bit of an insecurity and you feel like you have to prove yourself. Well, here's Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And Rehoboam gets instilled as king. We see this in 1 Kings 12. So they, uh, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us to make that kingdom great. Solomon didn't do it on his own. He did it on the backs of the people of Israel. Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. There were wise men in the, in, to give counsel to the king and Rehoboam listens to them and they all say, Rehoboam, listen to the people. If you will respond this way and, be, and act with compassion and kindness, they will be faithful to you and your kingdom will expand. But Rehoboam has friends that they know Rehoboam and they know his insecurity. You know, he, wants to, he doesn't want to live under the shadow of Solomon. He's not just Solomon's son. He's Rehoboam. He's king. And he refuses to listen to the wise counsel of men. And instead, Rehoboam responds with this to the people that came to him. He says, you think my father's load was heavy? 
Otherwise, other words, you think my dad was great? You think what he did was good? My little finger is thicker than his waist. You think he was a great king? You think he did great things? You think he pushed hard on you? I'm going to push you even harder because I'm even greater than he is. You see, a fighting response is often an insecure response. But it will try to disguise itself as confidence. And with that, it will overcompensate and it will act out of arrogance. It will claim to have knowledge and power of things it does not. Like Rehoboam, fighters will often only listen to those who say what they want to hear. A fear-motivated response will not be of love and compassion, but of control and arrogance. I, I feel concerned and I worry of what sort of harm people unintentionally may cause by unknowingly acting out of fear today. I want to parallel this response that we see with Saul and Rehoboam with the words of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 2.2 says this, Paul, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was a smart, well-learned man. In fact, oftentimes I'm sure he was the most scholarly, well-versed man in the room when he taught. And he says, I, I resolved to know nothing because he was saying I was, I'm, I'm confident above all else that the, there is truth in the gospel. And with that, he did not want that truth to be compromised in any way. His testimony and his message would not be hindered by trying to claim other knowledge or superiority over others. To him, it was all about Jesus. That's it. 1 Corinthians 8, 1-3 says, Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. As a Christ follower, you are not called to know more than other people. Knowing Jesus does not mean that you are smarter than the people around you or have superior knowledge. Rather, it means that we are called to be messengers of God's love at all times. And that should be the most important message to us. I believe that God would be challenging you and I today in the day that we live in. What are we using our voice for? 2 Timothy 2, 23-24 says this, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. What he's saying here, foolish and stupid, he's saying those things that can't be known for certain. Again, this is Paul saying, the stuff that you don't know, don't compromise your truth. The things that aren't foundational to the truth that you know for certain, don't get stuck in those arguments. Because they only produce quarrels, they only produce fighting. And God's servant must not be a fighter, must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. You see, when we claim to know things outside of what we actually know, we end up muddying our own testimony. Paul himself said, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some. Here's what I'm saying this morning. You are absolutely allowed to have your own thoughts and opinions. The church is called to unity, not to uniformity. We don't need to all think the same. And we don't need people to yield to our opinions. But I will also challenge and ask you this. What are you putting your voice behind today? What is the message you are sending out to the world around you? What does your voice say? What does your actions say? What do your social media posts say? It is a message of God's eternal love, hope, and purpose for the people around you. Recognize that there is an enemy who would love nothing more than to bring division and cloud people from the truth and the hope that is available to them.
I know many of you have prayed and have reached out to neighbors and friends and loved ones and have tried to share Jesus with them. Don't compromise the witness you have by arguing about things that you may or may not know. Can I encourage you to take an honest inventory with God? Check your heart and check your words and decide what things in life are really worth fighting for. What would he have you fight for? Then use your voice for that. If we allow ourselves to knowingly or unknowingly operate out of fear, we will not be operating on what God has empowered us to live out. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. We don't need to be worrying about winning every argument and knowing every possible answer in our world today. We just need to know the one that's important. And that's where our voice should be sent towards. So let's talk a bit about faith as we've been talking about fear for a while here. What's a faith response? Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A faith response is a secure response. Security is important. You see, when I feel insecure, I end up trying to be right in everything. But when I am secure in my relationship with God, a secure response, I'm not tossed by everybody's opinion. My opinion doesn't change over every time someone says something different. But I'm also not controlled by it. I don't feel like I have to be right in every conversation it is because there's not an arrogance in security. God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 2.7 says, but of love. Again, fear doesn't allow us to respond lovingly. A faith-filled response is a loving response. It's not just what you say, it's also how you say it. Do your words echo the contempt and despair of our world? Or do your words show the compassion and love of Jesus? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. Secondly, of power. Not our power, but God's power. We recognize that while the world may crumble and fall, God stands firm. And with that, we don't cower and feel, but we also don't wrestle with the world for control. We're not worried about being proven right and being the smartest in the room. We submit ourselves to God and we trust our lives to his control. And finally, love, power, and soundness of mind. God gives us the wisdom to see things for what they are. He lets us view today in light of the bigger picture of God's sovereignty and eternity. So what does this all have to do with finances? We're talking about finances today, right? Fear grabs a hold of all of us when we allow it into our being. The Bible talks a lot about possessions or wealth, and I've heard it said that the Bible talks a lot about finances because it's really important to God, and I would argue that. I don't think that's actually true. He doesn't talk a lot about finances because it's important to him. He could care less about pieces of paper and metal coins. What God cares about is God cares about you, and he knows that it's important to you. As it says in Matthew, as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So with that, practically, what are some of the traps fear can lead us to? And what does a faith response look like when it comes to finances? Because God cares about that. There are a variety of both faith and fear responses, and I don't want to oversimplify it, and there's a lot more that can be said than what I'm going to share here for a few minutes. But for the sake of clarity and not trying to trivialize it, I'm going to just give some brief breakdowns. 
of some basic responses. So if you look at Proverbs 21, 20, it says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now from this, what we see is a fearful response is foolishness, but a faith response shows wisdom. Fear says the world is over anyways, might as well eat and enjoy. Let's drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Whereas faith Faith has wisdom and looks ahead and stores up and hears from God and plans. An example of this is Joseph in the Old Testament. As Joseph elevates to, to, uh, in Egypt to become the second most powerful man in the nation, God put him in that place after a horrible episode of being sold off and being in slavery and being in prison. And God gives Joseph a dream to give to Pharaoh of how there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of drought and famine and that they were to save to be able to survive those seven years. And because they did, Egypt prospered and became even more uh, famously known and more powerful. Some of you, God has put that type of insight into your hearts. God has already been talking to you about the the need to be wise and to store away, not for the sake of being hoarding, but to store away because God's going to use it to help your family. God's going to use it to also use you to help others and to be able to seed into other people's lives. Wisdom is the response of faith versus foolishness. Secondly, a fear response to finances would be to hold tight and to be greedy, whereas a faith response is all about stewardship and generosity. For here, I I reference you to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about a a master and three servants, and he leaves to go away to a faraway land, and each one of them, he gives a certain amount of talents, of coins, of money that, that they have. And so when he returns... The first two took their talents and they invested and they made even more and looked, Master, look what we did. And he said he was so pleased with them that he gave them rulership over in his kingdom and gave them even more. But then the third man said, I knew that you were were prudent and I was worried about your harshness. So I hid the coin and he brought it and he did nothing with it but hide it. In fear, he hid the coin and the master was angry at him for he did nothing with it. He could have put it in the bank and at least made interest. And so he took what that man had and gave it to the others who invested. So that man had nothing. The point of the parable of the story that Jesus told is this, that each of us have been given talents. We've been given talents as in our abilities, talents as in our time, talents as in our our money, our wealth. And with that, we are called to steward it, which means we're called to be overseers. God's given us to be able to use for good things, to be able to help our family, to be able to help our neighbors, to be able to help people in our church, to be able to support other good things. Your money is not yours. A faith response sees that my finances are really God's and I'm called to be a good steward of it. And with that, a faith response has radical generosity because I don't take ownership of it. I recognize it's what God gave to me. Finally, a fear response to finances is is, uh, defined by anxiety and self-centeredness, whereas a faith response is defined by confidence. See, fear we... With that, we become emotionally undone because we put our faith into our own wealth and our own ability rather than God. We fight to control everything. We go with the ups and downs of the stock market. We're desperately depressed one day and then the next day we're joyful because it goes up. But then we, in in times like we're in with COVID, we are completely ravaged because we found our security in our own wealth and our own ability. And with that, we become angry. We become angry about what's going on. And then we become undone, overwhelmed with grief and anxiety. 
a faith response in comparison. We don't have the answers and we can still even have moments of anxiety because we are unsure, we don't know. And we may struggle, but daily we take assurance and reliance on God. We put a trust in him. As Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread as he taught us how to pray. That today, God, you're going to help me with today. I'm not going to get lost in the anxiety of how am I going to deal with tomorrow. I'm not going to live in that non-existent world. I'm going to live in today and trust you for today. As Jesus' own words say, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Confidence is not in being God, God being a cosmic Coke machine that will just give you everything you want. Confidence is rooted in knowing God, his character, his goodness, and his trustworthiness, and that, we, and that he can and will have his way, and he's worth trusting no matter what we face. It's not getting caught up in the things God isn't in, in wealth, in affluence, in lifestyle, in economy, but fighting for the things God does care and focusing on that. When it comes to our finances, it's no different than any other aspect of our lives. It's not a matter of simply if we do or don't do, if we spend or don't send, if we save or don't save, if we give or don't give, but rather, just as Samuel said to Saul, it's a matter of obedience, not sacrifice. So how do we change from a fear response to a faith response? Philippians 4, 4 to 7, in verse 6, we see a a passage that's often spoken about, and maybe you've had it said to you, do not be anxious for anything. I don't know if you've ever had that said to you in in a moment of your anxiety and fear. If someone just tells you that and says, well, don't be anxious, there's not a worse thing you can tell someone who feels anxious, who fears fearful, than just to say, well, don't be. It's the worst thing you can say. But we have to take this and and get the preceding verses because there's something that helps us to get to the point where we aren't anxious. First of all, we see in verse 4, it says, it starts with this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. we got to begin with worship, everyone. We need to spend time in God's presence. There is no other way to get around it. The cure to get past your anxiety of fear is not to simply be told to get over it or to try and muscle your way through it because you aren't going to white knuckle it. You're not going to get through it on your own. So stop beating yourself over it and stop beating others because they can't get over it on their own. The only cure is a personal encounter with the spirit of the living God who is able to speak to our hearts and allows our spirits to grasp the reality of his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. It's coming to know the character of God, that he is good, that he has good things for you, that he can be trusted. Because our assurance is in him, not in ourselves, not in our circumstances. If you struggle with a flight or an anxiety response, there's no judgment here. Don't try to remove your anxiety. I think that's where a lot of people get trapped is they're constantly trying to get this away. I got to get this out. I got to get this out. Don't focus on the getting it out, but focus on getting in. Take in the presence of God in your life because the presence of God will dispel the other. You need to combat the lies the enemy has been speaking over you with the truth God says of you. You need to daily take in time to read God's word, to pray, that's talking with God. To spend time in worship, singing songs to God, listening to songs of praise, taking in that truth within your heart and soul and spending time in God's presence. That's the absolute most important thing you need to do. Birthed out of that, I I see two more things here. So we need to spend time in the presence of God. 
which when we experience it, that's where true joy and peace, that peace that surpasses understanding exists. Then from that, we can choose to give a gentle response. Let your gentleness be known to all. Now, this word gentleness has to do with submission and yielding. Knowing God gives us the ability to choose to trust him, to submit to him. By exhorting gentleness, Paul is encouraging a counterintuitive response to a time of crisis, a healthy soul response, one that will prevent us from acting out of fear and instead act by faith. If you know in the depths of your core that you are loved by God, it gives you the capacity to care deeply and love other people. You don't need them to see the way things the way you do. You don't, they don't have to fall in line. And you don't also sway to according whatever they think. You have a deep security in your life that you are able to reach out with radical love and generosity. Finally, adjust your sight lines. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. If you focus on you, you will be disappointed because things aren't going to work out the way you thought they would. If you focus on your problem, you'll be discouraged and angry because you don't have the power to change it. If you focus on others, you'll feel divisive, disillusioned, and confused. But if you focus on Jesus, your faith will be built. And that peace that surpasses understanding, regardless of your circumstances, will grow inside of you. You need to battle to fix your eyes, to to not worry about what's going on and focus on what's around you, but to focus on Jesus. So we close today, I want to close with this prayer for you. And if you don't know God yet, you can right now in your own heart just invite him. The Bible tells us if we confess we're sinners, if we ask him for forgiveness and invite him into our lives, that he will come and he will take that life that we lived in fear and rejection and death and he brings new life. And you can do that today just simply by asking him. Confess, say, God, I've sinned and I need you in me. I need that new life. Forgive me for the way that I've not listened and done things the way you want. Help me to live for you. But I want, I want to read this psalm. And you can read, all read this with me. But I want you to read this as a prayer. It goes like this. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. God, come and know me. I want to be fully known. That's, that, that's where that acceptance comes. That's where that security comes. Know my heart, God. He wants you to know that he knows you. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Just take a moment and share those with him. Just even as they come to your mind. Which one? God, know this in me. See if there is any offensive way in me. God, if out of my fear, I've been responding in a way to others, to myself, to you, that's just brought rejection, that's been harmful, God, point that out to me and just ask for your forgiveness. That just comes to your mind. I don't want to do that anymore. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, would you fix my eyes, not on the things I can see, but the things I can't see. Help me to fix my eyes on Jesus. Help me not to just be concerned about how much money I have in my bank account. To not be concerned about what the economy is going to look like. To not be concerned about what next fall is going to look like. Of how my family is going to get this. Or, God, I'm not, I'm not concerned about that. Help me to fix my eyes on Jesus. Lead me in the way everlasting. I want to close by reading this prayer that we've talked about doing together after each message. You can read it with me as it will be on the screen. Heavenly Father, 
Because, of your, because your word says many times that we are not to fear, today I express my desire and commitment to fully trust you with my finances. Holy Spirit, I ask for your help in moments when anxiety and fear begin to surface in my mind. In those moments, please help me to hear your reminder that you're completely trustworthy. Please empower me to choose faith in you as the all-powerful, all-wise, and all-loving God, so that fear will have no power over me or my thinking. I commit to setting my mind on the truth of your written word that will help me choose faith over fear in my everyday life. That I want to live to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.